0: This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org Overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uluga'a, Oklahoma You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd Welcome to the program today. This is Don Boyd. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures Today we want to look at Jesus, the things that he taught uh, You know, Jesus came into the world to accomplish the Father's will And in doing so, he taught mankind what we need to know. So I want to begin looking at the who, the what, the when, the where, the why, and the how of Jesus' teachings. And we're not going to get through all this in this one lesson, it'll probably take a couple of lessons to do this, but let's start with the who did Jesus teach. First of all, we find in Matthew chapter 4, if you'll be turning there, Matthew chapter 4, verses 25, verse 25, down through chapter 5, verse 2, and we find that Jesus taught the multitudes. Matthew chapter 4, verse 25, down through chapter 5, verse 2. It says, "...and there followed him great multitudes." of people from Galilee, and from Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, and from Judea, and from beyond Jordan. Well, we find that people came from Galilee, up in the north, from Decapolis, over on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, from Jerusalem, from Judea, the area that, had, that contained Jerusalem, and from beyond Jordan, on the east side of the Jordan River. So multitudes came and followed him. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and we have here the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. So we find that Jesus taught multitudes, now what do we learn from that? That we are able to teach multitudes as well. Now it may be a gospel meeting, may be a lectureship, maybe over the internet or television, whatever. But we can teach multitudes because Jesus taught multitudes. But we also find that Jesus taught individuals. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. It said, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And then he continues to teach Nicodemus some things along, you will know, past that. But we find here he's teaching an individual, one person. We also, and you know, we can look at the things that he taught him here. Except a man be born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God being born of the water. I've heard some try to say that that's born of the amniotic fluid in the mother's womb. Well, everyone that's born is born that way. But, what if someone survives an abortion? They're not born. Does that mean that you have to be born of the amniotic fluid in order to have a chance for salvation? You know, we, we need to understand what the Bible's talking about. Born of water is baptism for the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. And of the Spirit, what the Spirit teaches. What the Spirit teaches through the Word of God. So that's being born of the water and of the Spirit, obeying the commandments of the Spirit that are found in the Word of God. And Nicodemus was taught that by Jesus, an individual. Also, go to Luke chapter seven, and let's look at verses thirty-six through fifty. Luke chapter seven, verses thirty-six through fifty. It says there, <clears throat> and one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him, and he sat. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meat. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee, which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee, and he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed five hundred pence, the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them will love him most? Verse 43, Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that said at me with them began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee, go in peace. So we're looking at individuals here. Jesus taught Simon the Pharisee. He taught the woman. And then he taught those that were sitting there to eat. So what do we learn from that? Well, we learn that we can teach individuals. And there may be more than one or two there, maybe three, maybe more, but we can sit down and we can teach individuals. And we can do it in the same manner that Jesus did. You know, Jesus, do you think he was shouting and yelling at Simon? No. He was just telling him the facts. He was telling him what he needed to know. He told the woman what she needed to know. So we, Jesus taught multitudes. Jesus taught individuals. We find in Luke chapter 7, verses 19 to 22, that Jesus taught the poor. Luke 7, verse 19, down to verse 24. John here is John the Baptizer. It says, John calling unto him two of his disciples sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come or look we for another? When the men were come unto him, they said, John Baptist has sent unto us, sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come or look we for another? And in that same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits. And unto many that were blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way and, and tell John what things ye have seen and heard. How that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. So right there, Jesus taught the poor. What do we learn from that? Well, we learn not to look upon individuals as their circumstances that surround them because every person has the right to hear the Word of God. Now. Again, we know that not everyone is going to obey. if vast numbers will refuse to obey. But we need to not look at someone and say, well, that, that's just a poor person. You know, they, they don't care to hear. Well, yeah, we need to teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ. But not only did Jesus teach the poor, he taught rulers as well. Go to John 18, verses 33 to 38. John 18 verses 33 to 38. Of course, Jesus here is on trial before Pilate. And it says, Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, <coughs> Excuse me. Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and said unto them, I find in, find in him no fault at all. Well, you see, Jesus taught Pilate. Jesus taught a ruler. Jesus taught someone who was you know in the up in the political realm there. and we need to do the same. That's what we can learn from that. We can teach rulers, we can teach the rich. Well, we also find in Luke chapter 12, Verses one to five that Jesus taught his friends Luke chapter twelve verses one through five It says In the meantime when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples first of all. Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be made known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness, shall be heard in the light. And that which ye have spoken in the ear in closets, shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I say unto you, my friends, so he's teaching his friends, Be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. So Jesus is teaching his friends here, but what is he teaching them? One thing he is teaching them there is you can't hide anything, and everything you try to hide is going to be uncovered. It's going to be uncovered on Judgment Day. Because there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be made known. We may think we hide sins and things such as that now, but they're going to be made known. And the things we speak, whatever we've spoken in darkness or in closet... That we don't want anybody here. Uh, they're going to be made known. They're going to be shouted upon the house tops. All these things in our lives are going to be made known. We can't hide anything from God. We can't not going to be able to hide anything from anyone else either, because our sins will be made known if we do not repent and have forgiveness of those sins. But then Jesus is also there for warning his friends whom we need to fear. You see, if someone kills us, they can't do anything anymore to us. You think about the Catholic Church. Whenever someone is you know, declared a, a heretic or whatever and they, they dig up the bones and they burn them and they cast them on the river or the waters or whatever, They hadn't done that person any more harm. But he said, I'll tell you who you need to fear, and that's God. Because God has the ability to kill, and he has the ability to cast into hell. And God will cast into hell those who do not obey him. So we need to fear God. And Jesus was teaching his friends that. How many of our friends... Have we taught that? How many of our friends know that they should fear God? Because God will judge us someday through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he taught his friends. You know, Jesus also taught his enemies. Going to Matthew chapter 23, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 23, beginning there in verse 1. Says then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, all therefore, whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. In other words, they talk the talk, they don't walk the walk. They tell you what you need to do, but they don't do what they need to do. Anyway, verse 4. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries, and large the borders of their garments. They love the uppermost rooms at feast and the chief seats in the synagogues, and Greetings in the market, and to be called of men rabbi, rabbi. But be ye not called rabbi, for one is your master, Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. And in verse 13, he begins speaking, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He taught his enemies, but what is he teaching here? He's teaching us that our religious life needs to be internal and not external only. We need to do the external things, yes, but having the internal. You know, John 4:24, God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit, having the right attitude. That's the internal, and in truth, doing the things that God has commanded us to do, having the book behind it. But He also mentioned some other things there. Oh, you know, people love to have these flattering greetings don't be called Rabbi, rabbi master master teacher, teacher, call old man father your father upon the earth. you know, what does the Catholic Church do you know we're not just picking on the Catholic Church but the, you know, they call their priests father a spiritual father. you know Jesus is saying you've only got one spiritual father and that is God in heaven. There's no man on earth has the right to be called father. Because whenever that takes place, you're calling in God. The same thing with the term reverend. So many men love to be called reverend. You ever notice anywhere in the Bible that someone is called reverend? Well, let's go find that place. That is Psalm 111, verse 9. Psalm 111, verse 9. And let's see who is called Reverend. Speaking of God, it says, He sent redemption unto His people. He hath commanded His covenant forever. Holy and Reverend is His name. Only God has the right to to be called reverend. Any man who calls himself reverend is just putting himself in the place of God. He is condemning himself by these flattering terms. And what about these flattering terms? Go to Job 32.21 Job 32.21 Yeah, Whenever we come to Job 32, we find that it is Elihu that is speaking. And Elihu, after Job's three friends had quit speaking, he began to speak at this time. You know, Elihu is never condemned by God. And he said in verse 21 of Job 32, let me not, I pray you, accept any man's person Neither let me give flattering titles unto man. People love to be called, you know, the pastor or the reverend or the father and all these flattering terms. Well, they don't deserve to be called that. You know, elders in the church have the right to be called pastors, and you find their qualifications there in First Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. It's not the one-man pastor system of the denominational world. Those are just flattering terms that are going to get people condemned to hell. But Jesus taught his enemies, so what do we learn from that? If Jesus taught his enemies, we are to teach our enemies as well. Because again, they have every right to hear the word of God. They may reject it, they may not. You know, the best way to get rid of an enemy is to make a friend out of him. And one way to make a friend out of a person is to teach him the gospel of Christ. Bring him into the fold of God, into the kingdom of God, and become a friend instead of an enemy. Now, You know, there are many other who's we could look at, the rich young ruler and such as that. But this gives us an example of who did Jesus teach. Now let's look at what did Jesus teach. Well, the first thing he taught us is to obey God. Be obedient. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Matthew 7. 21 to 23. It says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Right there, we are to do God's will. God's will for us is found in his word. So we can call, call Jesus Lord, Lord, all we want to call him. But if we're not doing the things that he commands us to do, does us no good at all. You know, for an example of that, verse twenty-two: Many will say to me in that day, "Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done, are done many wonderful works?" And then I will profess unto them, "I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity." Why? Because they did not do the will of the Father which is in heaven. And in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus said, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? The entire denominational world is that way. Many of them call Jesus Lord, and yet they're not doing the things that he says. Many of them are zealous for God, but not according to God's word. You know, you look at Romans chapter 10, verses 1 to 3, Romans 10, 1 to 3, we have the same type thing mentioned here. Paul said, or writes, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Many in the denominational world have a zeal of God, a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. And in verse three says, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. We must be obedient to the words that God speaks, not the word that men speak. So Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, the Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. We have to do God's will. And then Jesus also taught us to be humble. Over in Matthew chapter 20, look at verses 20 to 28. Matthew chapter 20, <clears throat> verses 20 to 28. It says, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children, that being James and John, with her son, so they were with her, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, what wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these these my two sons may sit, the one on the right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they say unto him, we are able. And he saith unto them ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with <laughs> but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. Verse 24 and when the ten heard it there being the other apostles they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, James and John, they wanted two prominent positions, and Jesus said, Are you going to be able to handle what I'm going to go through? And they said, Oh, yeah, we can. Well, we find over in the book of Acts... get over there into the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 12, beginning there in verse 1, reading verses 1 and 2, says, Now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James the brother of John with a sword. Jesus said, You will drink of the cup that I'm going to drink of and you will be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. James was the first of the apostles who was killed. And John, he wasn't executed like James was, but he was put into prison. He was there on the Isle of Patmos whenever he wrote the book of the Revelation. But Jesus told his disciples, why were the others all angry do you think? Well, there were many different times we read that they were all talking about who was going to be the greatest among them. And Jesus there said, no, you're all equal. And we need to remember that as well. What we learn from what Jesus teaching us to be humble is that there is not one of us any better than anyone else. If we are following Christ, we are all on equal terms. We're not ranked one above another or anything like that. We are all equal. Jesus also taught us to be caring. Going to Matthew 20 again, look at verses 29 to 34. Matthew 20, 29 to 34 it says, and as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. There's these multitudes again, and behold. Two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, have mercy, up, have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. And the multitude rebuked them, because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. And Jesus stood still and called them, and said, What will ye? that I shall do unto you. And they said unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Jesus had compassion on these two misfortunate individuals. And we need to have compassion on one another. Not just those that we know and those that are friends. You know, we need to have compassion in this life on others. And Jesus taught us the way of salvation. You know, we have Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 to 20 says, Jesus came and spake unto them saying all power American Standard Version says, Authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you, alway, even to the end of the world. Amen. So Jesus teaching us that we are to teach others. And they are to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why baptism? Mark 16. Look at verses 15 and 16. Mark 16, 15 and 16. He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. You know, Jesus taught us very plainly that belief and baptism are both necessary for salvation. There are many that try to say that it's not, but they do not believe the words that Jesus spoke here. They do not believe the words that the Holy Spirit spoke through the Apostle Peter, Acts 2:38. the Apostle Paul, Acts 22:16. many other places and instances there in the book of Acts book of 1 Corinthians such as that we see baptism being necessary for the remission of sins and Jesus taught us that. Now if we don't believe Jesus we're not going to be with him because we do not do the things that he says. Luke six forty six again. In John chapter 14 verse 6. John chapter 14 verse 6. Jesus speaking to Thomas, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Jesus is the only way. There is no other way we can get to heaven. All these false religions, Hinduism, Islam, uh, Buddhism, denominationalism, it was the same way. There's really no difference there because none of them believe in God. Well, they may believe in God, but they don't believe God. They don't believe the things that God has stated. Jesus is the only way, and he taught us that. And then Jesus also taught us about the end of the world and the judgment day. Go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. When you look in Matthew chapter 24, there's a lot of confusion about this chapter. You know, starting there in verse 1, Jesus went out, departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple, and Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Oh, they were apparently proud of that temple. Jesus said, there's not going to be a stone left on another one here. Well, as he went up and sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us. When shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Well, Jesus then answers the question, answers two questions. What shall be the sign of the, well, first of all, when shall these things be? When will there not be one stone left upon another? Jesus begins to answer that. Verse 4, Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. There's going to be a lot of deceivers, he said, and that happened. You go back and read Josephus. It happened. Verse 6, and you shall hear wars and rumors of wars. See that, you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines, and pestilences, and earthquakes in divers places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. You you go back and look in history. There just prior to the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, all of these things were taking place. Verse 9, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. You go and look in Fox's book of martyrs and you see how all of the apostles and, and various other uh, religious men there at that time, how they were killed. Verse ten and then many shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many, and because iniquity shall abound the love of many shall wax cold. You go back and read the things that happened prior to and during the siege of Jerusalem. All of these things were taking place. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. What end are we looking at? The end of the world? No. The end of of the Jewish religious system, that was going to come to an end, and it did come to an end, there to destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 by the Romans. But it you know, was was the gospel preached to all the world. Well, go to Colossians chapter one verse twenty three, and then we'll come back. Colossians chapter one, verse twenty three. Paul wrote the book of Colossians while he was in a Roman prison somewhere between 80, 60 and 62, somewhere in there. And Paul wrote this, Colossians 1.23, if ye continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, So the gospel was preached to all, gospel of the kingdom, verse 14, preached to all the world for a witness to all nations. Verse 15 of Matthew 24. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth let him understand. So what was that going to be? That would be the Roman army. Verse 16, then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Now, let's ask this question. There are many who are saying, oh, these are signs for the second coming of Christ and such as that. What good would it do for followers of Christ to flee into the mountains if this was the second coming of Christ? The answer is nothing. Wouldn't benefit them at all if it was the second coming of Christ. But see, it's not. It's the warning for the destruction of Jerusalem. Well, verse 17, let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Again, what would that matter if this was the second coming of Christ? Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. What would that matter if this was the second coming of Christ? And woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. Again, what would that matter if this is the second coming of Christ? But it's not. It's the great destruction that was going to take place at the city of Jerusalem. Pray that your flight be not in the winter, nor neither on the Sabbath day. Again, what would that matter? If this was the second coming of Christ, but it would matter if he was talking about the signs of the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel. The winter would be hard to travel. Sabbath day, the gates of Jerusalem would be closed. For then shall be great tribulation such as was not seen since the beginning of the world to this time nor ever shall be. What are we looking at there? You go back and you look at the destruction of Jerusalem. You read in the wars of the Jews and Josephus. There were 1,110,000 that died in the destruction in Jerusalem and many others were taken captive. About 97,000 more were taken captive and slain all the trees were cut down around the city of Jerusalem for crucifixion. They ran out of trees. So we see Jesus speaking of the destruction of Jerusalem here. And another thing that is really prominent here that shows us that is there in verse 22 where it says, except those Days should be shortened, shortened, and there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake those days shall be shortened. So we find those days there. We look in verse twenty nine immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken you find many instances in scriptures of this very same thing. And what he's describing here is a great day of the Lord, a great day of God. You go to Acts chapter 2, and you begin looking at the prophecy of Joel there from Joel 2. It is described in the same way. The establishment of the church on the day of Pentecost, a great day of God. So that's just one instance. And there are others in the book of Isaiah, In the book of Daniel, where you find that same description taking place. It's not the end of the world. It's a great day of God. And the destruction of Jerusalem would be a great day of God. Well, verse 30, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. You notice it's the sign of him, not Jesus himself. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great great glory. That is the appearance of judgment there upon the nation of Israel. At that time, he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from all four winds, and one from one end of heaven to the other. According to Josephus in his wars of the Jews, there was not one Christian who was killed <clears throat> in the destruction of Jerusalem. <laughs> and that's because they knew the signs. They understood what Jesus was saying about the signs. So he's saying, now learn a parable of the fig tree when his ranch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves ye know the summer is nigh. So likewise, when you see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. The destruction is near. You see all this taking place, you know Jerusalem is about to be destroyed, and you need to be ready and you need to get out. And then he puts a time stamp on that. Verily I say unto you, this, verse 34, verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled the generation that was alive at the time that Jesus was alive would experience those things. But you'll notice again, verse 19, those days. Verse 20, those days. 22, I mean twice. Verse 29, those days. Verse 34, these things. Then we have a transition statement. Verse 35, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. And then Jesus changes his terminology. Verse 36, it says, but of that day. It's not those days anymore. It's not these things anymore. That day. What's he looking at here? That day and hour knoweth no man, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. What are we looking at here? Now we're looking at the destruction of the world. We're looking at Jesus' second coming and he gives a description of what it's going to be like. Verse 37, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. In other words, there are no signs For the coming of the Son of Man. According to Jesus, that day is known only by the Father. At least at that time, Jesus may know now, I don't know. But he said the angels didn't know, but the Father knows. The Father's the one who knows that. No man knows. They can go out and try to predict a date for the end of the world all they want to. But they're going to be wrong because there are no signs for that day. It's just gonna be like the days of Noah. Noah would have warned the people the flood is coming because he was a preacher of righteousness, according to Peter. Well, we know the second coming of Christ is coming, but we don't know when. Noah didn't know when the flood was coming. All of a sudden, it started raining fountains of the great deep were busted up all of a sudden. It's going to be the same way, he says, the end of verse 39, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. What are we looking at there? Two women be grinding at the mill, one taken, the other left. What are we talking about? Well, Paul explains that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You begin reading there in verse 13. He says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we be ever with the Lord. So back over here in Matthew chapter 24, where it says one will be taken, the other left. One who is faithful will rise in the air to meet the Lord in the air. The other one is going to be left for hell. And what we mean there is they're not they are not those who are. They are not the dead in Christ. They are not the living in Christ. They are the living that have, that are lost. They're not going to rise to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we be ever with the Lord. That's what he's talking about there in Matthew chapter 24, now, verse 42. Jesus said, "Watch therefore." For ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. We don't know when he's coming, but we do know he's coming. And Jesus is saying, you better be ready. You better be ready. And then he gives an example. But know this, if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready. For in such an hour as ye think not, The Son of Man cometh. Jesus is coming. We don't know when, but we do know he is. And we know there are no signs for his coming. He stated that. But we do know his coming, and we do know that we need to be prepared. And then in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46, Jesus teaching us again about the judgment day. Verse 31, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory. We read about that at 1 Thessalonians 4, didn't we? And the holy, all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit on the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations. All nations, that includes you and me. We're going to be there. We're going to experience that. And he shall separate them one from another, as the shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. So on that day, we're going to be separated. The righteous will be separated from the unrighteous. Verse 33, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. So we're looking at the righteous on the right hand, goats on the left, or the unrighteous on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. They're blessed, they're righteous. And that's what they are called in verse 37, then shall the righteous answer him. But in verse 41, it says, then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And he said in verse 46, these shall go into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto life eternal. So Jesus taught these things about the judgment day in showing us that we need to be ready always. We don't know when he's coming. He could come at any moment. We don't know the hour of our death. We don't know the time of our death, the day of the, the year of our death. But we do know that unless the Lord comes first that we're gonna die. We need to be prepared for that. And Jesus is telling us that. That is one of the things that he taught us. Now, we're out of time today before we get to the when, where, why, and how. So we're going to stop there today, and we'll start with the when that did Jesus teach, Lord willing, next time. So this is Don Boyd. I want to thank you for tuning in to be with us today. And we look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study.